0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. There's a notebook on the counter at our gym where people leave notes for everyone to read, mostly inspiring, except for the occasional complaint about a broken piece of equipment. Recently, at the top of a blank page, one of the trainers wrote, Why are you here? A flood of responses followed, and then at the bottom, someone wrote, fear of death. For a few days, there were no more entries. (laughs) And then in tiny letters, someone else wrote, me too. I thought it a sad commentary. Why are you here? Fear of death? delusions of immortality aside, it occurs to me that our deepest fear is fear of life. These are fearful times. My mind turns to another fearful time, 1933, the depth of the Great Depression. In his first inaugural address, President Teddy Roosevelt said, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, yeah? He continued, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Eight years later, in 1941, President Roosevelt stated the Union Address was largely about our nation's security and the threat to other democracies from the war that was being waged across the Eastern Hemisphere. In the speech, The President broke with the tradition of non-interventionalism and outlined a role for the United States in helping our allies who were already embroiled in the war. Eleven months later, Pearl Harbor was bombed and we officially entered World War II. During that iconic speech, President Roosevelt proposed four freedoms that people everywhere in the world, he said, ought to enjoy. They are freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. There are three things we tend to do in excess to avoid feeling fearful, although they are hardly freeing. We fret, we get busy, and we space out, sometimes with the help of substances. They are equally effective in keeping us from feeling fear or much of anything, really. Fret, get busy, space out. Each of us tends to have a go-to avoidance tactic. How would you rank them in your life? They're very useful until they're not. In her book, It's Easier Than You Think, Sylvia Borstein writes, Fearfulness is a mind habit. Some people have it more than others. It is always extra. Being trapped by fear is a form of delusion. I made a vow to myself, she says, that if something was frightening to me, and yet within the realm of what I could reasonably expect of myself, I would do it. I figured out one day, she explains, that fear is a series of neuronal discharges in the brain, and I resented feeling that I was being held captive by cerebral squiggles. I'm interested in what freedom from fear looks like in our daily lives, or at least how we can work to diminish the experience of fear and so enlarge our lives and embrace life. It begins with the willingness to face it and feel it. The only way out is through. And out of nowhere, says American Tibetan Buddhist nun, Pema Chidron, we see our storyline, drop it, and come back to the freshness of the present moment. We see our storyline, drop it, and come back to the freshness of the present moment. Author Elizabeth Wagle braved coming face to face with her fear and was rewarded with professional success. She says, when I started giving book talks, I was terrified. I tried every method of calming my nerves I could think of, including hypnosis, therapy, and Toastmasters. It was no use. What worked best, she continues, was to tell the audience I was afraid. By laying my cards on the table, I no longer had to struggle to keep a secret and cover up my true feelings. The audience didn't run away, my nerves calmed down, and I was able to go on with my talk. After some honesty and experience, I was able to speak in front of crowds with confidence. Both of Dr. Frederick Newman's parents had near-drowning experiences. As a result, they developed a lifelong fear of the water. In fact, they became afraid of a lot of things. He writes, they did not want me to swim, to bicycle, to cross the street by myself, he goes on with a huge long list, and they transmitted the whole package to me, their only son. At 16, Frederick went to college, which required him to pass a swimming test before he could matriculate. The swimming test was not really a swimming test. He just had to stay afloat for 10 minutes. But he had never even been in the water. This was it. If he wanted to go to college, he was going to have to learn how to swim. Sometimes we're fearful out of loyalty. Sometimes we would do well to question that loyalty and think of other ways to be connected to those who taught us to fear. As well as being a terrific metaphor, learning how to swim has all the elements of the treatment of most phobias as well as the healing of trauma. So there are roughly four steps. Step one is to let others in on the secret. Tell them our secret. It has two benefits. The secret begins to lose its power over us, and we discover that we're not alone. As Elizabeth Wegel found in giving her book talks, if our fear is about doing something, it helps to go public with it and to practice in a supportive environment. Poor Frederick Newman stood in the shallow end of the college pool, while the water polo team practiced at the other end. In his first swimming lessons, he stood near the edge, intentionally falling and catching himself over and over. Gradually, as the days passed, he moved farther and farther from the edge, an inch at a time, until he had to take a little jump, and then a bigger jump to get to safety. Without realizing it, he began to relax in the water. It takes repetition takes time It can take a lot of repetition and a lot of time compassion and patience are watchwords we only have to drop the storyline and look at our version of the water polo team to know that what we're doing isn't impossible so step one is to let others in on our secret the truth is out Step two is to do what frightens us and acknowledge through this process that what we feared is not as bad as we'd feared. Drop the storyline, return to the present, get into the water. Dr. Newman writes, every once in a while when the jumps had become pretty long, I missed the edge of the pool. My hand went into the water, taking something like a stroke. Once, my face went under, and I had to squeeze the water out of my eyes when I surfaced. Note, it did not kill him. In fact, he now had the answer to that terrifying question. What if? What if my hand goes in? What if my face goes in? Well, you stand up, and you're okay. Step one, we let others in on our secret. Step two, we do what frightens us, acknowledging that what we feared is not as bad as we'd feared. And step three is a leap of faith. Soon, as Frederick Newman took bigger jumps, he was skimming across the surface of the water, and not long after, he writes, I was doing a dog paddle, And then I started paddling my way to the deep end of the pool, making sure I was within grabbing distance of the edge. Sometimes I felt much more nervous than others, but I was basically okay. Basically okay. It's counterintuitive, but if you're not a little panicky, you're not getting better. We have to keep adding in the ingredients that frighten us, going deeper into our fear when we're willing to acknowledge and accept that we're actually making progress, step three, that leap of faith, tells us to judge progress by what we can do, not by how we feel. Step one is to let others in on our secret. Step two is to do what frightens us. Step three is that leap of faith And finally, step four, if we get stuck, we need to ask for help. Find some people to do it with us or just stand by and cheer. This is where the water polo team and the deep end came in. When Frederick Newman was directed to test his new skills and swim across the middle of the pool, he froze. He was stuck on the edge until he asked someone from the water polo team to swim with him. He didn't need to be held up, he just needed someone nearby. And he did it. We get by with a little bit of help from our friends. The most extraordinary thing about facing our fear and burning through it is that the very thing we feared can become a source of great joy. Dr. Newman now swims most days. He loves it. It is a source of self-esteem and deep satisfaction and joy. And did I mention that he works at White Plains Hospital in New York as the director of the Anxiety and Phobia Center? P.S. He wants us to know that if anyone is interested in the consequences, comic and otherwise, of growing up with parents who think you are capable of any feat except swimming, bicycling, and crossing the streets safely by ourselves, may White want to look at his novel, Superpowers. So in closing, just one brief insight. This is a little something from Carl Jung about the only thing we have to fear. Dr. Jung noticed, he said, that when we busy ourselves attaining outward success, money, position, reputation, but neglect to fill our lives with larger meaning, we become neurotic, read fearful. On the other hand, our neuroses and fears dissipate when we choose lives driven by purpose and meaning. Fear and love cannot coexist. And love is bigger than fear. Beloved spiritual companions, these are fearful times. But fearfulness is a habit and being trapped by fear is a form of delusion. We fret, we get busy, we space out. Or, we refuse to be held captive by cerebral squiggles and make a choice to see our storyline, drop it, and come back to the freshness of this present moment. Step one is to let others in on our secret. The truth is out. Step two is to do what frightens us and acknowledge that what we feared is not as bad as we'd feared. Step three is that leap of faith, judging our progress by what we can do, not how we feel. And step four, is to ask for help. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. May we convert retreat into advance. Fear and love cannot coexist. And love is bigger than fear. Yes to life. Amen. And let's join hands for the benediction. From Donna Markova. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live, so that which came to me as seed goes on to the next as blossom. And that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, Please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.